So in essence, we're really helping the small traders have the opportunity to trade, not just within their country, but also at a regional level. And some of the EAC harmonized standards, the East African community harmonized standards, are used in the harmonization of products at the African level. We are participating fully in that. So we are taking whatever technical information we have here to try and take it up and be acceptable at the Africa level. So if that happens, then it means if you're meeting standards in Uganda, which are already recognized at the EAC, then you'll be meeting standards in the whole of Africa and it will enable you to trade far and wide. Bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast, with Matthew Childs, Alan Sellers, and Cindy Parakil. Today's episode is on the Commonwealth Standards Network. Hello, my name is Matthew Childs, and I am with Cindy Parakil. Hi, Matthew. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. In today's episode, our story is about the Commonwealth Standards Network, or CSN, a UK government-funded programme operated by BSI since April 2018. The voice you heard at the top of the episode was Patricia Ijalu, Deputy Executive Director at the Uganda National Bureau of Standards, talking about the impact of the CSM programme on the ground in Uganda. We'll hear more from Patricia later. We will indeed. Now, this is a special episode of the podcast where we not only describe the CSN programme, but we also take the opportunity to celebrate the success of it too. And we have five guests to help us do that. As well as from Patricia, we'll also hear from colleagues in the UK government and BSI about what the CSN program is, what drove its development and its impact, and also about where the CSN goes next. Before we get going proper, a reminder that for more information on BSI education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. This link and others on the themes raised in the episode can be found in the episode notes. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and share us on social media using the hashtag BSIEdPod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes or even ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at bsigroup.com. We really welcome your feedback. Before we go into the details of the CSN program, it's probably worth exploring what the Commonwealth is. That would be a good idea. Now, the Commonwealth is a voluntary association of 54 independent and equal countries. It's home to 2.4 billion people and includes both advanced and developing economies. 32 of the members are small states, including many island nations. The member governments have agreed to share common goals like development and democracy, and the values and principles are expressed in the Commonwealth Charter. Obviously, the Commonwealth's roots go back to the days of the British Empire, but today, any country can join the modern Commonwealth. The Commonwealth is often described as a family of nations, and the aim of the Commonwealth Standards Network is to facilitate Commonwealth trade and poverty reduction through the increased use of international standards. The UK Prime Minister at the time, Theresa May, inaugurated the CSN at the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in April 2018, saying that... The network will provide a significant opportunity for national standards experts to collaborate and share best practice, and it will empower developing countries to have a stronger voice in the international standards community, something that has benefits on a global scale. 
The CSN is a very important program for BSI, enabling us to work with national standards bodies, or NSBs, around the world. But most importantly, the program enabled NSBs to reach small-scale producers and provide them with access to standards. By working with standards and producing quality products, the small-scale producers can access local and global markets, resulting in higher income and ultimately improving their livelihoods and reducing poverty. And on a personal note, since joining BSI, most of my work has been on the CSN program, particularly the Africa Stream, working closely with our counterparts in Uganda, Zambia and Rwanda, who have made this program a huge success. Now, this is an episode in three parts. In part three, we hear from BSI's Ben Headley about the services provided globally to the CSN member countries. In part two, we hear from Charles Davis, also from BSI, about the technical assistance streams of the CSN program. Also in part two, we hear from Patricia Ajalu again from the Uganda National Bureau of Standards, UNBS, about the impact of the CSN program in Uganda. But in this first part, we hear from AJ Lynch, Standards and Trade Facilitation Lead from the UK's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, and Peter Sissons, Head of International Engagement at BSI, about what the CSN program is and what drove its development. The CSN has obviously existed since May 2018 when it was launched by the British Prime Minister. But BSI, as the UK National Standards Body, has had a, a, a long um, a long-standing outreach program to countries around the world with a specific focus on Commonwealth countries. So before the, the CSN even began as an entity, we did a lot of work with our Commonwealth peers, so the national standards bodies throughout the Commonwealth, to try and support their development. And what we sort of see within Commonwealth developing economies is that the standardization systems are based on UK system, which is great. But there was a lot of standards that were used that were old British standards that may be up to 20 years old. So these countries weren't benefiting from the latest state-of-the-art standards. So we've had a large outreach program to Commonwealth countries over the years to try and support the increased use of, of, of standards that we use now um, in the UK, which, which are typically adoptions of international standards. So that outreach program was, was quite informal, and we would usually gather as, as a grouping um, once a year to, to really sort of talk about the, the challenges and opportunities that, that sort of existed within Commonwealth countries. And then in 2018, the UK hosted the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting and the Commonwealth Business Forum. And that presented us with a fantastic opportunity to actually formalise this work. And that's when the Commonwealth Standards Network was, was actually um, first really sort of brought into life. Starting off, we worked with the UK Department for International Development, who um, managed to secure some funds from the UK aid budget to help us to take this forward. We started off by actually engaging with Commonwealth countries to really understand their key economic challenges, their key sectoral drivers and priorities, and um, you know, looking really at the sort of development of their standardization systems and, and national quality infrastructure. So we started off by doing a, a needs assessment activity 
to really understand what the priorities were. And then we designed the program around that. And the program has a number of different facets from the network, which is a peer-to-peer um, learning network where national standards bodies can come together to share information intelligence to, to support their development. We also looked to see how we could deliver specific interventions in a range of different countries. So the, the, there was a range of technical assistance programs that were, that were pulled together and, and, and we undertook three years of delivery. The ultimate ethos behind the network is, is really to support the increased use of international standards across the Commonwealth as a tool to facilitate intra-Commonwealth trade. And this would lead to positive economic outcomes um, and would support the attainment of, of positive developmental outcomes as well. The other driver behind the Commonwealth Standards Network is that there is a there are limited levels of, of participation of developing economies in international standards development activity. And we sought to try and work with these developing economies to, to increase that participation level. We really see the Commonwealth Standards Network as a member-driven initiative. BSI, we saw as the custodian of the initiative for the first three years, really to undertake the needs assessment and deliver a range of collateral that could be utilised by developing economies to support them with their economic needs. Um, but really, it's, it's a membership organisation that is driven by its members. Um, and, you know, the, the UK, UK aid funded the, the, the programme for the first three years, which really helped to set it up. And, you know, we, we, we will look to deliver more in the future. Where does the CSN fit in with other BSI international policy work? Well, the CSN is, 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 is right at the heart of it, actually. The, the international policy work that we do at BSI has, is multidimensional. So the, there's quite a range of, of work that we do to support the UK interests in the international standards organisations um, of ISO and IEC. Um, we also have a series of bilateral relationships with strategically important countries for the UK economy. Um, we also have a range of regional relationships with regions that are also important to the UK economy. And we have the Commonwealth Standards Network, which you know, is, is really on, on, on par with all of, these, um, all of these engagement activities that we have. What we're looking to do with the Commonwealth Standards Network is, is, is maintain the peer-to-peer -peer learning and, and, and the focus of self-support between national standards bodies around the world, predominantly to support the increased use of international standards. But we'll also, we can also use this as, as an opportunity to share information in terms of what's going on in the UK. So we can use this as a, as a tool to basically engage with countries when we're undertaking standards development work domestically. You know, it's, it, it's, a re it's really at the centerpiece of our international engagement work. You mentioned that um, one of the objectives is of the program is to um, involve developing countries or the CSN members to participate more in standards development. So there's no escaping of the COVID question. What impact has COVID had on international standards development and the ability of CSN members to participate? It's, it's a really interesting question. And it's quite a, we're kind of sort of in this quite strange scenario where before COVID, all committee meetings, both domestically and, and in the UK and, and, and around the world, and meetings of, of technical committees internationally, were all physical meetings. So 
you know, the, the, the people that participate in standards development are in the UK volunteers, um, in many places around the world, they're volunteers who give up their time um, to participate in standards development to create um, deliverables that, that basically codify what good looks like. One of the big challenges for developing economies is that they may not, they, they, they may find the experts to participate in these work programs, but they may not have the time to take out of their day job. So they may not have the, the time that they can actually travel and, and, and participate in these meetings. And they may not be able to finance the costs. So there the, the were some barriers for, for participation from developing economies. What we've actually seen throughout the crisis is that there has been an increase in the uh, number of developing economies that are participating in standards development because they can do it online. As long as they have a robust um, telecommunications infrastructure, then they can access these meetings. And, and, I, and I think there's a lot of lessons that, that we all need to learn from this because, you know, some of the, some of the immediate barriers to participation just, just aren't there anymore. Obviously, we don't know what the future will look like and, and actually, you know, what, what the future of sort of international work programs will look like. But, you know, I hope that we'll start to see developing economies really see the value of the participation and maintain that participation and, and certainly increase it. So I, th I think in terms of developing economies participating in, in international standards development, COVID's actually increased the, 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 the number of participants. And, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll work in the long term to see how we can sort of maintain that um, maintain that increase. And I understand that there has been a strong partnership between the CSN program and ISO, the International Organization for Standardization. So perhaps you could give us a few examples of how we worked with ISO in supporting the CSN members. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, th there, are, there are a range of different organizations that are delivering interventions to developing economies to support them with standardization. And the last thing that we want to do is duplicate any, any effort. So we, we've been really, really mindful through the program design to ensure that there isn't any duplicative effort. We have been working with ISO um, actually quite recently um, to support the implementation of good standardization um, practice audits. So this is, this is a tool that ISO has developed and it's a tool that is used by developing economies to look at their standardization processes and practices and can help them to identify neat sort of areas for development. So we actually worked with ISO to deliver three of these programs um, in Commonwealth developing economies, which will both help ISO to really understand some of the challenges within these countries, which will help with future program design. Um, but as of a, from a practical standpoint, it will help the countries where we've delivered this activity to really understand the, the, the needs within their own systems. And from that, they can work to either look at um, delivering interventions themselves to um, sort of address these needs and gaps, or they can actually use this evidence as a um, as a tool to speak to international donors to to see if they can actually seek any external funding to support that. That's really fascinating. So it's like bringing the international best practice to 
um, the field to actual delivery. Um, that's really interesting. Absolutely, so, and just 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 yeah. in, sorry, just in addition to that, um, yeah. as, as part of the CSM, we we developed what we call a framework of standards. Okay. So this this was actually created in in the first phase of the the, the program, and and what this looks like this this was based on the research that we did with, with developing economies and we pulled together a list of about 120 international standards the majority of them are iso standards that could be used and could be applied in developing economies to help them to support their their domestic requirements now this wasn't a list of BSI or anyone saying these are the, the solutions to your problems. It was really a menu that could really highlight some of the standards that, um, that can help to basically achieve some of the, the, the challenging issues that the developing economies face. It's fantastic to have you here, AJ, to get the UK government's perspective on the CSN. So what drove its development and why does it exist? So, yeah, going back to, I suppose, objectives a couple of years ago when we were developing this, and this objective remains until today, but a really important uh, kind of aim of our work is to support Commonwealth and other developing partners to unlock the potential of trade as a real engine for kind of inclusive growth and poverty reduction. And working under that kind of broad heading, it becomes quite clear quite quickly how important standards are to meeting those trade and poverty reduction related aims. So as I'm sure you're aware, international standards essentially provide a passport to global trade and by offering that guarantee of trust so consumers can be sure a product meets their expectations and their requirements around safety, quality, sustainability, you name it. And at the same time, standards mean that exporters know that their goods and services will be accepted in more regional and global markets. So it's really a win-win. But the problem here, and that's, I suppose, what we were trying to address with CSN, is that developing countries face significant challenges complying with and using standards. And so we're in a situation where developing countries are actually missing out on the opportunities offered by standards and trade and global value chains. And, you know, some of those challenges might be a lack of technical skills and personnel within relevant institutions, maybe a lack of kind of hard infrastructure for testing products, for example. And of course, those capacity constraints will also mean developing countries are less likely to participate in forums and bodies where international standards are created and agreed. So they might have less voice and participation and clout in the overall standard system. But nevertheless, they're subject to its rules and procedures. And, you know, those capacity constraints in meeting standards are especially the case and especially pronounced for small and medium sized enterprises and small scale producers, which make up the majority of businesses in developing countries. So bearing in mind those objectives and those constraints, we felt that the UK was particularly well placed to lead on an intervention like CSN. I mean, many Commonwealth developing partners actually use legacy British standards, but in many cases with outdated frameworks. So it kind of made sense that we would be able to assist in updating these in line with international standards in a way which would help facilitate more intra-Commonwealth trade. But at the same time, as the UK 
we have a really high level of adoption of international standards. And of course, again, as you're aware, we have the vast expertise of the world's first national standards body on our doorstep uh, with BSI. So that all made sense in terms of capitalising on the expertise we have here in the UK, our kind of history and our connection with the Commonwealth, but also really, you know, delivering on the needs of, of developing countries. And at the same time, we felt that the momentum and the demand had been building among national standards bodies in the Commonwealth for some time, and they had expressed need uh, for support in this area. So all of that helped drive our initial CSM proposal, where the headline objectives really were just to promote awareness and use of international standards across the Commonwealth, and through that to reduce the costs of intra-Commonwealth trade and also support trade outside of the Commonwealth. And, you know, having worked in this space, I really do believe that trade and standards within that is one of the most powerful tools for development that we have. And by breaking down barriers, programmes like CSN are genuinely supporting jobs, transforming livelihoods. And that's been really wonderful to see and to, to work with you on as well. Absolutely. And likewise, it's been great working together on this programme. The way I like to describe it is that we have helped countries embark on this trajectory of standards-led growth, which is extremely powerful. And to see the real impact that it's having on the ground is the best part of it. So later on in the episode, we'll hear the story from Uganda on how the program has helped accelerate change and transform the lives of people. So from your perspective, AJ, what would you say has been the collective impact? I've really enjoyed seeing the spread of the program's impact. So from really kind of macro level stuff like supporting developing partners to engage in international standards development processes with organizations like ISO and also to work together through our online peer network that we've created. So all of that real kind of regional cross-cutting stuff at the system level and then on the other hand, the really micro level kind of supporting individual farmers and fisher folk to make simple but meaningful improvements, which really transform their farming and their livelihood practices and help them to create better produce and, you know, attain higher prices through that. And what I've also enjoyed seeing in terms of, of the impact and the approach is the focus on working with national standards bodies as the real linchpin and you know that relationship that BSI can then have as standards body to standards body working in that direct institutional partnership and you know focusing on standards bodies means that all of that diverse work whether it's with farmers or, or fisher folk or you know with ISO that can actually be pulled together in a really strategic way where each program activity is actually in line with the country's overall priorities, its direction of travel, its standard strategy. So it's all part of a whole rather than being kind of disparate areas of impact. And I think we've really seen that, um, you know, coming out of the other side of the program and coming out of a challenging time with with COVID as well, you know, having that, that anchor of, of work and, and the relationships with the national standards bodies. Despite the challenges brought by COVID-19, I really felt that CSN did an excellent job of adapting to support CSN partners, both in terms of kind of continuing to deliver the existing planned programme of work in a totally different format uh, and in a new context, but also 
offering kind of targeted COVID-related support and advice to help these countries think through the emerging crisis and their response and what role standards would be able to play in that. So, you know, that two-pronged kind of adapting, but also continuing with what we plan to deliver. And I thought the programme struck a really good uh, balance with doing those two things. Are you a young engineer who wants to change the world through standards? Well, every year, BSI and its partners offer young engineers the chance to take part in the IEC Young Professionals Programme, All Expenses Paid. The programme brings together the world's upcoming expert engineers, technicians and managers and provides them with opportunities to shape the future of international standardization in the field of electrotechnology. The next IEC Young Professionals Programme will take place in October 2021 in Dubai. Find out why you should apply at bsigroup.com forward slash education. In the technical assistance streams, we helped bring standards closer to the main users, namely small-scale producers, such as fisherfolk and farmers in Uganda, by enabling public-private partnerships. The ultimate goal was to create a mutually reinforcing ecosystem that helps them produce safe and quality products that can be placed on local and global markets. So in this next part, we hear from BSI's Charles Davis, Principal Consultant International Projects, about the technical assistance streams. But we start with Patricia Ejalu. She shares her story of the impact of the CSN Technical Assistance Program in Uganda. We've been working uh, for a while with BSI on the Commonwealth Standards Network Program, and we have had it has had a very big impact on us at uh, in Uganda and in UNBS in particular. Um, just to give like some three highlights, we've uh, the CSN program was enabling us to access standards, especially during the COVID nineteen lockdown. The first time when most of the countries had to be locked down, we were able to get standards that helped us um, prepare for. The, the, the items that we needed here in Uganda from BSI. And that was really, really amazing and very, very helpful at the time. But the program in itself has helped very much with the capacity building of the UNBS staff. As you know, Uganda National Bureau of Standards is responsible for the uh, formulation and development of standards for the conformity assessment activities, which include testing, certification, and calibration. And we also carry out uh, enforcement activities. So we require to have staff that are very much uh, capable of doing the job and doing it very well. So the capacity building we've got with reference to the lead auditor training to help us uh, assess our clients a lot better has been very, very useful. And also the measurement and certainty training. You know, we have testing labs that we have to be assured that the results we're giving are actually the correct results because this is what we use to be able to trade. So that capacity building has been quite amazing for us. But the support has not just been to UNBS. It has also been to our medium 
uh, micro, small and medium enterprises. And the support has very much enabled us to improve our stakeholder engagement with them so that we've been able to develop videos which they can play around in, in the regions and on regular basis so people can get the information that they need. But more importantly, we've been able to simplify the standards to a level where the micro, small and medium enterprises are able to understand what is the requirement in the standard that they need to implement so that their products are meeting the requirements and they can trade. So we've got support from uh, this particular program for the fishery sector to help them with their regulatory requirements. We've got support for the uh, micro, small and medium enterprises on hygiene and labeling requirements in particular, and also for the farmers on products like rice and soybeans, just so that people can understand what are the basic requirements to just maintain hygiene, which is goes a long way in making sure their products are really good. But last but not least was the improved working relations. You see, food safety is a chain, a value chain issue. And through this uh, support, we've been able to improve our working relations with the Export Promotion Board, with the Fisheries Department in the Ministry of Agriculture, Animal Industries and Fisheries, and of course, the Uganda National Farmers Federation and BSI. So you've got a good working relationship with institutions that have work to do along the value chain. So this has had a very big impact on us here. Thank you. That's fantastic. The program really has touched upon different areas, starting with pandemic preparedness, um, improving the institutional capacity building, working with the private sector and institutional collaboration. Right. And what really, what really stood out to me from what you said was that um, this program really helped bring standards closer to its end users, which is absolutely amazing. And so from your perspective, what was the unique success factor of this program? Well, like you mentioned, it, it got to the point where those who need the standard information got it. And the manner in which this program was done was a value chain method, which that's the unique issue about it. And it was very much focused on the work that the specific uh, stakeholders are doing. You see, it, it comes down to making sure that when you're supporting anybody, you're supporting them to do the work that they actually do. So that even after the support goes, this continues. You, you see, it's not, you're getting a boost from being supported, but even after that, you just continue with what you're doing. And that's what, uh, that was so unique about this because it, it, it was able to, to handle the value chain factor by in, including, uh, related institutions and making sure that whatever we are doing actually gets down to the private sector and in particular the farmers and the uh, micro, small and medium enterprises. The value chain approach that Patricia described, which focused on empowering public and private stakeholders to support farmers produce quality products, has proven to work really well. By working with UNBS, a local food scientist, and the Uganda National Farmers Federation, we produced simplified standards guidelines for five priority value chains, avocado, pineapple, rice, soybeans, and shea nut. We translated these documents into 13 of the 52 local languages. 
And in order to maximize the outreach of this knowledge amongst farmers in all corners of Uganda, we capitalized on the wide network of the National Farmers Federation, through which we disseminated over 111,000 durable copies of the guidelines. But we did not just stop there. We trained over 2,000 farmers throughout Uganda, really equipping them to pass on this knowledge further. So I asked Patricia if she could tell us about how the training program was rolled out. Yes, and again, it was very much because we were working with a very strong association. So the teams were actually able to go to all the regions and to talk Mm -hmm. to the people and to talk to the members of the federation within the different regions. And it, it, it involves a lot of, it's, it's, it's quite a lot of work because they have to move all over the country. But because yeah. there already exists, a, uh, there is a structure that exists through the Federation, it made that very simple for them. The, the issue was just having to reach out to all these different people. We had a good team of guys who were able to communicate in the different languages. That was very, very useful. And then making it simple, you know, yes, there's a level where technical information needs to be brought down so that the person on the ground can get it. So there was a training of trainers so that you, you leave people with someone who already knows and can always be there for them. You know, it never helps. UNBS is very much at the center of, of the country. And we are not... Uh, consistently in communication with farmers. We are actually at the tail end of this food value chain. But if we can help in any way by working with the Federation, with the program, as the program that has supported us, CSN, to get this information to train trainers, to train people so that there's, a, there's consistently someone there who can actually speak this language at any one time. That, for me, was a very good operation. Wow, that's just fantastic. Um, And the main thing was that we were able to mainly pivot our actions to focus um, on utilizing local resources to build the capacity and take the project further. Um, And this really, I think, as you were saying, you know, made sure that the right people are trained up in Uganda and are available even post the project. Correct. So I think that's, yeah. That's <laughs> that, just, that is a very important thing. You know, with UNBS, yeah. that's, that's really how we get involved with any program. It's really got yeah. to have the element of sustainability. After this support, if you come and check on us two, three years from now, what has happened? You know, if it hasn't grown into something, then we have a problem and, and we have to look at what we're trying to do. It's really important um, for us especially to, to have people have the knowledge of standards. COVID has made that very clear that you've got to have, I mean, we can't be 100% self-sustainable. That's, there's no country that does that. Every country knows they have some certain things, but they have to get other things from outside. But it has drawn us to really look within ourselves and look at what it is that we have and bring that out to its full capacity. So the challenge that our farmers are having is a big one and we need to solve the, 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 the beginning of this food chain because whatever goes wrong at that end is going to end up at the tail end and we've been finding it. You know? So Absolutely. if we can find quality a way to start, keep that. Yeah. yeah, quality starts from the beginning, from the very grassroots. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. So the project is um, working on improving the quality of the produce. And I think towards the end of the program, 
we were trying to connect the farmers to the export promotion board Correct. to to get them to the market. Do you think that's um, new? Is that going to have a big impact? Yes, it is. And right now, with a lot of work being done, especially on our, our cereal product, it's it's a big issue within the region. And it's it's going to be handled. It's got a lot of work that has to be handled. What What is good is to make sure that the farmers themselves understand what their role is and make sure that they're doing it. Because if you, you want to be an exporter, you better first be selling very well within your country. And we have made sure that the standards are available. So if you're meeting the Uganda standard, you're already meeting the regional standard, you're meeting even the Africa standard. So there is hope for moving on. And you will not be able to sustain anything if you can't do it from where you are at the very beginning. So that's the element. That's what we're trying to do. And an export promotion board, we're working very closely with them so that they can bring these people together. And again, the federation makes it a very strong unit because when they come, when they bring, when they pull their resources, it stops being a burden on individual farmers. It's now a group. And so even the, their financial resources that they need to be able to sustain this trade is not a heavy burden on all of them when they come together. So what, what does the CSN or how does the CSN program link with other technical assistance programs that UNBS is involved with? Uh, well, key to one key uh, program that we are involved in is the, we have uh, the Trademark East Africa is going to support us with uh, regional capacity building uh, to help us get uh, testing activities at the regions. UNBS has uh, opened regional offices with reference to certification activities and also some testing in uh, the northern region, in a city called Gulu, in the western region, a city called Mbarara, and in the eastern region, a city called Mbali. And the idea is that we want to be able to replicate what we're doing here in Kampala so that people don't have to travel all the way here and to also focus on the sector specific issues within those regions. So Trademark East Africa is supporting us to enable us to bring the testing capacity because you know testing investment is testing in testing is quite high. So it's we're doing it ourselves, yes, but at a very slow pace. So Tamiya is helping us do that. So this program, you see, while we're getting support to help the MSMEs, we're also relating it on a regional element. So by helping the MSMEs understand the standards, they will be able to access the services that they need to be able to get the certification and then be able to trade both domestically and regionally. Excellent. So how does it contribute um, to the larger national and regional initiatives in Africa? Well, the small traders and farmers are able to implement the requirements of the standard. So the quality of the produce improves and this puts them at a better advantage uh, compared to those who are not doing what they're doing. So basically, opportunity favors those who are found prepared. So the project has assisted a number of small traders to increase their knowledge about standards and therefore pursue certification. The ESC has recognized the certification marks that are issued by the bureaus of standards in each partner state. So you're talking about Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi, and South Sudan. So once attained, the products gain access to this whole region without further inspections because you have got that certification mark. 
So in essence, we're really helping the small traders have the opportunity to trade, not just within their country, but also at a regional level. And some of the EAC harmonized standards, the East African community harmonized standards, are used in the harmonization of products at the Africa level. We are participating fully in that. So we are taking whatever technical information we have here to try and take it up and be acceptable at the Africa level. So if that happens, then it means if you're meeting standards in Uganda, which are already recognized at the EAC, then you'll be meeting standards in the whole of Africa and it will be enable you to trade far and wide. So what you do at that grassroots level enables somebody, it just gives them access to quite a lot. Now we move on to Charles Davis, BSI's Principal Consultant, who will give us an overview of the CSN technical assistance streams and what they have achieved. We've, uh, we've delivered three very interesting and diverse technical assistance work streams. Um, so we targeted uh, strong regional representation across the Commonwealth. So we devised uh, three schemes, uh, the largest one in Africa, uh, working in Uganda, Zambia, and Rwanda. And then we had one in the Caribbean, uh, anchored in St. Lucia, but also working in uh, Belize, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Dominica. And a third stream in Oceania, working in uh, Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu. And that gave us a real sort of uh, diverse mix of national standards bodies that are at a very different levels of their sort of uh, development and, and maturity. Um, so this enabled us to deliver a real sort of range of activities, uh, bespoke activities suitable to each of their needs. Uh, I think in general, technical assistance we on this project, we provided support to uh, institutional support to those uh, organization involves, organizations involved in quality infrastructure in each of these countries, uh, primarily with the NSB, but also other uh, other institutions where appropriate. And then also the second and the key sort of aspect that you'll have heard about earlier from uh, our colleagues in Uganda is the large amount of work we've done around the private sector and sort of promoting the awareness uh, the, uh, on the importance of um, using uh, standards and the benefits uh, they can bring to, to those organizations. Um, so they're the two sort of real uh, focus areas of our technical assistance work. If I'm to talk just briefly about the Caribbean, which is interesting because we've been developing uh, four national quality policy documents uh, for, for each of the countries um, there. So this, this sort of sets up the legal framework and sort of the, the mandate as to, as to around how quality infrastructure uh, is delivered uh, in each of those countries. So we did a detailed situational analysis um, in consultation uh, with not only the national standards bodies, but all uh, QI stakeholders in each of those countries. And that led to the development of the policy itself uh, which was agreed between the, um, the national committees, the groups that um, uh, coordinate the putting together of the of the national policy, and also an implementation plan as to how each country can go around uh, implementing uh, their respective policies uh, once approved uh, by their respective governments. So that's been a really interesting piece of work, and has uh, pulled together a lot of international best practices um, that we we will certainly be able to use um, going forward. Uh, and the second interesting thing we've done in uh, the Caribbean has been around food safety. Um, obviously, there's a lot of food producers, domestic food producers that want to that want to uh, aspire and meet international standards, such as ISO 22000, which is the international standard for food safety management systems. 
but not all MSMEs and organizations can go straight to the international standard. Uh, they need to begin a journey whereby they can not only just meet their domestic uh, mandatory hygiene requirements. So we've helped St. Lucia, for example, develop a prerequisite program and also a national HACCP standard that, that uh, SMEs can be encouraged to take up and meet uh, and, and use. And that obviously... Uh, encourages um, food producers to then think about the next step about how can we become sort of uh, internationally um, certified and 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 obtain the international uh, standard. So we've been doing a lot of work working closely with St. Lucia Bureau of Standards around that, uh, and that's been a sort of remarkably successful um, pilot that we've done in country, and that will uh, that will roll out uh, more widely across uh, across the country. Uh, and then if I just talk briefly about Oceana, uh, obviously a very different geography, uh, a very spread out geography uh, in Oceana, but a, a region that's really undergoing a lot of um, awareness around quality infrastructure. And there's a lot of movement in terms of having a quality infrastructure agenda uh, across the region. Um, we worked in Vanuatu. Vanuatu's national standards body was set up in 2017. So it's less than it's less than four years old. Um they provide. We need. They needed a lot of assistance with um, best practices around standards development, uh, putting together a, a, a national standards catalog, um, coming up with a sort of a strategy is how they're going to engage um, stakeholders uh, across across their country and how they can uh, raise awareness on the use of uh, standards and how to access standards uh, in in their country. Um, we've also done a lot of work with metrology uh, in Vanuatu. Um, they've just set up their first, the, for the country's first national metrology division, uh, and we've been able um, to provide some support in that area, not only through our own metrology expertise, but also working with the National Physical Laboratory, which is part of the UK quality infrastructure, and they've provided some very uh, helpful and useful training materials to the metrology officers um, in Vanuatu and also uh, in Papua New Guinea. And in Papua New Guinea, we've done a bit of work around um, uh, standards development again, um, also some awareness uh, campaigns, uh, putting together a corporate plan for NISIT, try, again, trying to raise the profile of the NSB in country and uh, and, and promoting the benefits that international standards bring. Uh, we've also done a lot of work with their metrology labs as well. Uh, in their ambitions to become um, uh, accredited, so so yes, a real sort of breadth of different activities across the three streams, but each stream uh, equally uh, valuable and important in sharing international best practices with the rest of the Commonwealth membership um, on the that have subscribed to our to our network. So, what collective impact has it had? Yeah, I mean, there's it's had a lot of uh, a lot of impacts. I think what we've seen now. Uh, at the end of the project is a lot of sort of um, what I would call institutional twinning, which is whereby uh, if I look at um, Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu, for example, uh, Papua New Guinea has offered to support Vanuatu in their development and is a very good sort of uh, benchmark uh, for Vanuatu to strive uh, to become in terms of its uh, its growth and its development. And it's it's a level of maturity that is, you know, within reach um, for Vanuatu is it's okay 
um, having uh, close relationships with with very developed national standards bodies, but they they too are on their journey to get there. And so, if we if if there are organisations who have been in a similar scenario uh, recently and who have developed in recent times, and they provide a good sort of uh, sounding board and sort of benchmark to to speak to, and likewise in Africa, uh, with the methodology used in Uganda for um, engaging the private sector, that's received a lot of interest um, from Zambia, and that's also brought together those two national standards bodies to have a closer dialogue around what methodologies work best for engaging with private sector. Um, so I, I think the collective impact is there's a lot more peer-to-peer information exchange between national standards bodies, which is what we always wanted uh, from the beginning. We've also had an opportunity to work with our UK QI partners. So in the UK, uh, we have a quality infrastructure system that includes the National Physical Laboratory, which looks at uh, metrology, and also the United Kingdom Accreditation Service, UCAS, which which looks after uh, accreditation. And we were were really pleased to be able to include them uh, in our project We've tried to provide a sort of a whole spectrum of UKQI services, standardization, accreditation support, and metrology support where where uh, appropriate. Also, the work we have done has fed into um, regional uh, developments. We've been working closely with uh, regional STOs. So uh, in the Caribbean, that is CrossQ. In Africa, that is ARSO, the African Regional Standards Organization. and um, in the in in Oceania, um, there are discussions uh, around how well, what does the regional sort of uh, roadmap look like uh, for not only standards development but quality infrastructure development. And the Pacific Islands Forum is doing a lot of work uh, around that. They're based in Fiji and in Geneva, and so a result of a result from a lot of the work we've done in the region has obviously. Uh, promoted some of the uh, discussion points that are now being spoken at at a, at a higher level in the region. In this third part of the episode, we take a step back from the national and regional level technical assistance streams and look instead at the global CSN network activities. To find out more, I spoke to Ben Headley, BSI Senior Program Manager for the CSN. I started by asking Ben to describe how we created this community of NSBs and what support has been provided to its members. What's happened over the last couple of years is we've gone from having uh, basically starting the Commonwealth Standards Network as um, a brand new program with no members to get to the point now where we've got 52 uh, different Commonwealth states as members. Um, So that's been quite tricky. Uh, particularly during the last year of uh, COVID, where we're not allowed to meet face-to-face to to keep uh, these members all together as one community, uh, one network grouping. The portal is at uh, commonwealthstandards.net. This was uh, launched in the early stages of the program um, as a place to uh, basically put put up all of the CSN written resources so that anyone can access them. Um, there was also, there's a regularly updated news and events section. So anything related to um, standards development, standards use um, goes up on those sections. And it's become a, a useful place for CSN members and the wider community 
to to go really as a bit of a one-stop shop for standards related uh, and development uh, news and links uh, whether that's documents by people like the world trade organization or from national standards bodies because uh, the csn is quite unique in that it's it's not working for profit it's not it's just looking to share this information with the membership and more widely um, and so if you were to look on certain certain nsb websites then they're going to be very focused on that one country uh, csn's really got to reach right around the commonwealth um, to promote this information so the portal has been very useful for that um, it's it's now picked up to about uh, 30,000 unique page views. The forum is the online uh, window really into um, where you can see how the different CSM members can interact with each other, get feedback from the CSN secretariat or get feedback from each other. So if it is things like uh, standards development, they can put their question on there and potentially have answers from uh, from up to 47 different uh, countries on there that are all in a similar um, position to them, or many of them are. Um, there are also other things on there, like this is becoming the place where we will put all of the technical assistance streams information, things like case study videos will all be available through the portal as well. So I think it's, it's a useful resource. Um, it's, uh, it's basically just a, a useful way of sharing information and making it accessible to everyone. There's only one part of the of the forum that is NSB National Standards Body specific, um, which uh, which people need to sign up for and be a NSB or equivalent uh, employee. But other than that, everything else is open to everyone to to view. Overall, what impact could you say the CSN has had? In particular, the portal. Maybe you could give us one or two um, examples. Sure. Yeah. In in particular, for the the portal and this network stream, which is the overarching stream of all of the the fifty two CSM members, um, where we've seen um, good positive impacts from this has been particularly the engagement side of things. So when we're looking at governance and gaining these fifty two members, the annual meetings, um, the the governance structures that we've put in place as well as the portal has led to more Commonwealth countries being involved in standards development. Um, I think it's opened the door to them and it's shown them that this is this is something that's available to them and the benefits of doing this, which leads to more adoptions of international standards. And obviously all of this fits within the, the CSA um, real objective of more use of international standards, uh, which will reduce uh, international barriers to trade, uh, leading to positive developmental outcomes. So it's quite high level stuff, really. But that's really where we've seen a lot of the impacts. Specifically, we've seen things throughout these uh, 11 different surveys we've done, um, positive impacts, particularly for things like the e-learning resources that are available on the platform, uh, particularly from NSB staff who have uh, universally written back saying how useful it is and that um, that they're going to use it within their work, particularly with their stakeholders, like government stakeholders, uh, to be able to point them to these courses that show them the benefits of using international standards and slightly demystify the area of standards and trade and regulations. Um, 
So I think there's a few different different areas, and one one final area that I'll mention is that um, we've um, we've been working with consultants from the World Trade Organization who have really helped us put the message out through training programs of how regulations uh, link to international standards, um, how standards help support uh, policy and technical regulations and reduce technical barriers to trade. Now, what we've seen in a few countries is that this has really pushed forward the discussions between standards bodies and the various government departments that deal with technical regulations. Uh, And it's really, uh, again, opening the door for them to have the resources as NSBs to talk to their governments and say, this is why uh, we should do things in this way that's recommended by ISO, recommended by the WTO, recommended by other organizations like the CSN. Um, so it's really opening up the door for countries to um, to be more involved with international trade via the use of international standards. To round off our story of the CSN, we return to where we started and hear again from Peter Sissons, BSI's Head of International Engagement. I asked Peter what's next for CSN. Where does it go from here? Well, it's, it's, it's a very sort of interesting time. So the CSN was, was a funded program. Yeah. It was funded by UK Aid um, and it was funded up until March this year. The way that we've designed the program is that we, we were basically doing the heavy lifting first. So we were developing the collateral, developing the systems, really having a huge focus on engagement and, and, and developing the community. So as it stands, 52 of the 54 Commonwealth states are fully signed up members, which you know, I, I think in a less than three year period is, is, is a great achievement. But because the, the, the UK aid funding has, has finished, it doesn't mean that activity stops. So we, we intend on really sort of building out the network side. We have a portal that we've developed, which can be found at www.commonwealthstandards.net. And that will be the primary um, location for this peer-to-peer engagement. So BSI is committed to continuing um, to maintain this platform, to maintain this portal, and we will use it to look to see how we can achieve common solutions to Commonwealth challenges. So we're really, really excited about working with our peers across the Commonwealth on really important areas like trade, like sustainability. Um, and, you know, we, we will build out that, um, that area of focus. The Commonwealth Standards Network was launched at the Commonwealth Business Forum in London in 2018. And it's all about a collaborative network. We are moving on in terms of governance terms to have co-chairs of the initiative. So at the next Commonwealth Business Forum that is due to be held in Kigali in Rwanda, Rwanda and the Rwandan Standards Board will become the co-chair of the initiative. And going forward, the co-chair position will always be held by whoever um, has delivered the Commonwealth Heads of Government and is sort of nominally leading the Commonwealth work for a two-year period. Our thanks to Patricia, Ejay, Peter, Charles and Ben for their contributions to this episode. To find out more about the Commonwealth Standards Network and BSI's international engagement and projects, check out the links in the episode notes. 
You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. You just heard a stripped media production.